This is the Branches Podcast. We try to keep it simple in this family of faith. Love God and love people. Let's not make it harder than Jesus intended. If you'd like to know more about our community of faith, you can visit us at branchesoc.com. All right. Well, hello, Branches. Uh, My name is John Eshelman. I'm here for week two uh, of this little series that I'm in the midst of a larger series of sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening, calling, I'm calling it, what if, what if some of these things that Jesus says are true? And so last week I talked about briefly what, what if the kingdom of God is actually near? What if it's a, something that we could experience here and now? And what if we believed that that was true? How would our lives look differently? And what if the good news was so good it transcended all our circumstances, whether good or bad. And so this week, it's uh, Father's Day, and I thought there's got to be somewhere where Jesus talks about fathers, and so I found an obscure verse, and so we're going to look at it. It's not really that obscure, but it's another, it's another great question to be asking in terms of what if what Jesus says is true. And so I want to just give you a little background about how I was raised real briefly. Uh, I want to talk about the Dodgers and the Angels, how I wanted to be a pastor, um, Republicans, Democrats, Independents, oh my. And a few things about Jesus and what he says, and then we'll finish with a little bit of poetry. Uh, so that's where we're headed uh, for you people out there that want to know where this thing is going. Uh, so I was raised with... Uh, in a family that competed. We played board games, we played card games. Uh, At age four or five, I was put into Little League and AYSO soccer. I was on the Cubs for Little League and I was on the Tigers, Orange Tigers, or uh, I think I was on the Care Bears. Might have been my first soccer team. It was like a boys and girls together thing. And so I was actually, I was just thinking how weird it is that Soccer teams don't take on like, you know, I didn't play forever like Real Madrid when I was in ASO, but I always played for like the Royals or the Dodgers or the Cubs or the Mets, you know, in Little League. I don't know why, uh, you know, in Little League, they don't just take on like other names like the Bone Crushers or something like that. They just stick with the major league teams. Anyway, Esh tangent right there. All that to say... I was competitive. So you learn things when you're on a team. You have your team and you have the other team. You have uh, your allies and you have your opponents, um, your friends, your enemies, these sorts of things. And your goal is to win. Your goal is to beat the other team. Your goal is to come out on top. Uh, so this was like inculcated into me as a as a child, right? That there, there is your crew and then there is that crew over there. And that you're you're essentially the hero, and they're the villain. You are the good guys; they're the bad guys. That's kind of how uh, you start to begin to see it as you grow older and older. But the point is that most of us are raised uh, with some kind of understanding that there is us and our crew and our team, and then there is them over there that's different and their team, and and there's this sort of unspoken not maybe not competition but just we are separate right 
Uh, so I was raised a Dodger fan, for instance. Uh, grew up listening to, you know, Vin Scully calling Dodger games uh, while I sat outside and weeded the garden with my dad. Uh, we cheered for the Dodgers. We were a Dodger family. And we take on these labels like, uh, you know, we're if you're an Angels family or you're, you're a Pirates family or whatever it is, you know, you have like the things that you start to see that you take on these labels. Uh, and these labels can be cultural. They can be uh, based in our nationality. I'm an American. I'm Mexican. I'm Canadian. I'm these different uh, labels that we take on as we grow. And those things begin to become what identify us. I'm a I'm a student. I'm a college student. I'm a UCLA student. I'm a Cal State Fullerton student. I go to Saddleback. I'm a, you know, that you start to take on various labels. I'm a barista, or I'm a server, or I'm a waiter. Uh, I'm, you know, I work on people's taxes. I'm a public accountant. You know, there's all these different things that you can take on as labels, and they begin to sort of be your identity. And as you take on more and more labels, you start to see that you become more and more separated from everyone around you because you're becoming uniquely you in so many ways of the things that uh, make up your experience in this life. And so I remember uh, I worked as a pastor. I worked one of my first jobs in ministry, we'll say, uh, was working as a, an associate college or high school director at, at a local church here in Aliso Viejo. And I remember so badly I wanted to have the title pastor. I wanted to be pastor because certain things came with that. It was like, uh, if you were a pastor, you know, people, there was like this respect. There was... Uh, this understanding that you had some kind of authority, that you knew God in a, in, in a unique way. Um, there was this reverence that came with it. Sometimes there was a pay bump that came with going from director to pastor. Uh, but I remember thinking, I want to be a pastor. And then if you're in the church world, and I recognize a lot of you aren't, but if you're in church world, if you're a youth pastor, then there's all sorts of things that are difficult about being a youth pastor. You know, when the youth pastor finally gets to speak to the main congregation and they all, the comment is always like, oh, the youth pastor did a pretty good job for a youth pastor, you know, it, but there's always sort of like, you're just down a rung because you have this qualifier in front of your name, in front of pastor that is youth pastor. Uh, you couldn't possibly have anything to say to people that are older. <laughs> so it's, it's a, there's just these labels. And I remember wanting so badly to be a pastor. And then I, I remember reading uh, and it finally kind of sunk in because a lot of times we read the scripture and it doesn't always sink in. But Jesus makes this odd remark, I'd say, about pastors and fathers. Uh, and this comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 23, verses 8 through 10. So Jesus says this. He says, but you, and he's speaking to uh, some of his followers and people around him. He says, but you are not to be called rabbi, which in their day would be the equivalent of a modern day pastor. Uh you are not to be called rabbi for you have one teacher and you all are brothers and sisters. You all are family. Okay. You're all siblings. And then he says this and call no man, your father on earth. Odd thing to say for you have one father who is in heaven. And then he says, neither be called instructors for you have one instructor, the Christ. So it's an odd sort of 
thing for Jesus to say. And I would say, if we, can, if we take it literally, we can also go in the wrong direction. If we say, well, you can't call your dad, dad. You can't call your father, father. Uh, you can't call your professor, professor, or teacher, or pastor, or those sorts of things. But what is he talking about here? Uh, and, and I want to I get into this, because this is where I think uh, Jesus wants to really illuminate something that I think we, that I, I have missed, I'll say. Uh, in my quest to be called a pastor, uh, what I missed was, was that, that that desire to have that label um, was founded on some things that probably were more egocentric more about me than they were about anybody else. Uh, it, 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 was, it was just me wanting respect, wanting to be revered, wanting to have some authority, wanting maybe a pay bump, whatever it was uh, that came along with that title. And the problem with that kind of thinking is that it separates us. And Jesus is trying so, so, fervently and diligently to explain and illuminate for us that we are actually not separate. Uh, and so let, let me tell you what I mean by this. We have labels that we give people, uh, ways of understanding ideologies or philosophies, uh, ideas, things in the world. Like, so one of those might be uh, democracy or um, one of those might be socialism or one of those might be... Um, I, I'm not even going to go into any others than those. We'll just start with Republican and Democrat, Independent, however your political leaning may be. Okay, so what we those are those are ideologies and ideas and philosophies about how government should run. And so what we ha what we happen to do is we ascribe to one of those or or none of those, but we certainly some people ascribe to being a Republican or to a Demo being a Democrat. And this is a label that moves us out to our uniqueness on the perimeter, I'll say. I'm, I'm putting out here on the perimeter all the things that culture uh, defines us by. So you, you, could be, you could love surfing, you could love baseball, you could love uh, making short films with your friends, you could love, and I'm reaching for all, sewing, I, I don't know, there's all sorts of things, hobbies, things that people love, okay? And that's what makes us unique. That's what makes us different. The problem is, is when some of these things that make us unique, like being Republican or Democrat, um, are opposing sort of viewpoints at times. And then when we look at somebody who is different from our own viewpoint, we don't see the person. We just see what they do, what they think. We just see the ideology or the philosophy uh, that we disagree with. And so suddenly it's not a person, it's just this idea that I don't like that's out there. And so how do we begin to see the world as Jesus sees the world? And that's why I think this verse is important. He's saying, no, 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 no. don't be called rabbi. Uh, you have one teacher and don't, you all are siblings. All right. So let, let's say that being a sibling, being a sister or a brother or, or a sibling, a family member is right at the center of actually our identity. Okay, it's not about, our identity is not found in being Republican, Democrat, Christian, uh, Lutheran, Baptist, Catholic, whatever the different denominations you may even have that you use to define yourself. 
but right at the center is human, brother, sister, family, sibling, okay? That's where Jesus is saying, why don't you start there, okay? And in that, that you would be founded on love, familial love. This is like this idea of the kingdom. It's not about, it's not about being out here on the perimeter and trying to move your way to the center, right? And that's what I think culture wants us to try and do is, hey, start out here and then try and work your way to finding that common ground, okay? But unity, what Jesus is hoping for, unity does not come from facts and information and shared opinions and agreements, okay? It comes from understanding that at our core, what we are, our family, and that we are connected, that we are brother and sister and sibling, okay? So it's, it's such a polarizing time in our world right now. With the pandemic, with government that's, you know, there's, there's just, it's hard to find somebody that's like, yeah, I don't really have an opinion either way about it. It doesn't really bother me one way or the other. Uh, most of the people I interact with are very uh, opinionated and have, you know, sort of strong feelings one way or the other about our previous president or about our current president, about uh, vaccinations or not vaccinations, about, you know, the pandemic is real and I've lost friends and the pandemic is a hoax and it's being used by these people to accomplish other objectives. And there's so many differing viewpoints, but it's so polarizing. And, and what happens is we don't see the other person anymore. We just see their viewpoint. And so for us to get to common ground again and say, oh, but we're brothers, you know, we've made, we've, we've managed to work our way through all of our differences and become brothers uh, or sisters or siblings, family again. Uh, and Jesus is saying, no, let's flip that. Let's just flip the whole deal and say, actually, if you could just change your thinking, because that's what repentance is about. We talked about that last week. If you could just change your thinking and understand that at the core, what you are, are brothers and sisters and siblings. And then you might move your way out to, your, to experience your uniqueness around the perimeter of how we all move our way through life in different ways because we have this freedom. There's this beauty in being different, right? In, in, in the way we look, the way we dress, the way we talk, our languages, our hair, our skin color, our, our, all of that moves out to the perimeter because, and that can be celebrated. The perimeter can be celebrated. Wow, I think so differently from you, but I know at my core, we're family. That's a different way to go through the world in my mind. Because uh, there's so much just vitriol, there's so much outright hatred and explosive language uh, towards brothers and sisters, towards family, over these perimeter issues. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 don't, don't call someone a pastor, don't call someone a teacher or an instructor, the Christ is your instructor, don't call someone father, don't be misled, don't be misled that you're separate, that there are these delineations and differences. You all are family and you have one father. And, and let, me just, let me just put it this way, the, the Apostle Paul, he's uh, speaking uh, to some folks and 
This is in Acts 17, 27, and it's sort of the second half of 27 and all of 28. And I think this is sort of beautiful poetry. Uh, and I'll start it right here. He, Paul says this about, about God, about Jesus. He says, yet he is actually not far, not far from each one of us. He says that, which was what we talked about last week. It's, is the kingdom near or is it far away? It's not far. He is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. So what if Jesus is right? What if Jesus is right? What if our separation is an illusion? And we're all living out on the perimeter in our labels. And we're living in, a, in an illusion that we're all separate from each other. And when we do that, what happens is we begin to attack each other. We begin to tear each other down. Wars start. Families break up. Marriages end. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers and sisters, siblings. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. And I'll just end with this little thing about love, because I think our unity can flow from love. And in the world that I, you know, when I, I'm working with people, this, this word excellence comes to the forefront often. You know, well, we're just about excellence. And so if you want to have excellence in your life, at the end of chapter 12 of Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he says, it's good to desire these great gifts of speaking in tongues and teaching and these other things, but I'll show you the most excellent way. And then he begins this beautiful poetry in chapter 13 that you've heard at many weddings. And he says this, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I am a noisy gong or a clinging cymbal. So all your commitment to your perimeter views and your ideas, and you may think it's the, it, it is God's honest truth, and you may speak it, but if you do that without love, you are noise and nothing. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing, he says. And so if you want to know what does it look like to start here and begin to change my thinking about starting out here on the perimeter with everybody and their differing ideologies and instead start here, let me, he describes love beautifully. He says it's patient, love is kind, it does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant. And you get to just ask yourselves these questions if, if you're encountering people that are arrogant or rude because love is not arrogant or rude. It's just not. It does not insist on its own way. I think that's one of my favorite things that lo about love. Love doesn't insist on its own way. So if you're estranged from someone, and, and I'm, I, I have these kinds of relationships in my life, I do. And I have to ask myself, am I insisting on my own way here? Because if I am, I'm not loving. And that's a tough place to be. It is not irritable or resentful. Whew. So again, remember, you could have all the faith. You could have, understand all the mysteries and all the knowledge of all scripture and God and theology. But if you're resentful, 
or you're irritated, then you got to think about how do I begin to love those people? It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. So love does not celebrate when it sees wrongdoing, when it sees things going in a destructive way. Uh, but it rejoices with the truth. You know what love? You know what it doesn't say. Love does. Love does not attack people that are doing wrong. Love does not execute judgment upon people that are doing things wrong. Love does not insist on the truth. Love does not fight for the truth. Love does not defend the truth. It simply says it rejoices with the truth. So when you see it, when you experience it, celebrate, rejoice. When you see something that you think is opposite, don't rejoice, but neither defend nor attack nor don't go to war over it. Jesus laid down his life. This is, this is the last little thought here. Uh, Jesus is speaking to some crowds in what is commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. And we'll just end with this. He says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons and daughters of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You know why? Because he loves them all. They are all his. Every single one of them is made in his image and that's where he's starting. So the sun comes up on everyone. And we think the sun should only come up on a few people based on where we're operating out here on the perimeter, on our ideas about what's right and what's wrong and who has it and who doesn't and who's in and who's out. And he sends his rain, which was, was a gift for crops, for life, on the, on the righteous and the unrighteous, because you know why? They are all his. So let's just change our thinking. What if... What if Jesus, what Jesus is saying is true and that we are all family and that our unity can flow from love and believing that that is actually true. So all you fathers out there, you are also our brothers and our sisters and our, uh, our siblings. Uh, we, we have these roles in our life as I am a father for three daughters uh, but at the same time, I recognize that even in that, we have one father, right? We all come from him. In him, we live and move and have our being, my daughters included, okay? And that puts us as family, all right? So let's, let's try and change our thinking and live this out and, be, and start at love, amen? Thanks, you guys. Have a great week.